We want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. And there's no place to be right now but in it. We watched for a decade while these rebels without a job tell us how to prosecute a war. Well, they're going to spend their 30s in a federal facility, real time. People say, you know, Abby, are you concerned about an overreaction from the cops? Holy shit. You all right? It was until I saw that. Are the people ready to make opening arguments? At the defense table. Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Dave Dellinger, Rennie Davis, Lee Weiner, John Freund, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale. These defendants had a plan, and the plan was to incite a riot. I call this portion of the trial with friends like these. <laughs> my trial's begun without my lawyer. The court assumes you are being represented by the Black Panther sitting behind you. The riots were started by the Chicago Police Department. Sustained. Nobody objected. Jurors 6 and 11, they're with us. Juror number 6 and juror number 11, you're dismissed from this jury. Can you tell us why? Because this is my courtroom. We've dealt with jury tampering, wiretapping, a defendant that was literally gagged. Get your hands off me. You're the first to suggest that I have discriminated against a black man. Then let the record show that I'm the second. When we walked in here this morning, they were chanting that the whole world is watching. If we leave here without saying anything about why we came in the first place, it'll be heartbreaking. Well, last summer, why did you come to the convention? To end the war. We're giving them exactly what they want, a stage and an audience. Yeah, you really think there's going to be a big audience? Here I This is what revolution looks like, real revolution. We may have to hurt somebody's feelings. Is this prosecution politically motivated? I'm tired of hearing you. It would be impossible for me to care any less what you are tired of. Here I am. No there will be no We have to find some courage now. No How much is it worth to you? What's your price? To call off the revolution? My life. Open your eyes, cause a new day is dawning. The new day is dawning. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm in a such great mood this weekend because it's it's my 34th birthday. I'm celebrating that all weekend long. Um Obviously, if you ju- as you just heard right there, there's a new Aaron Sorkin movie out, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which I got to see a few weeks ago on the big screen in limited theater runs. But now it is officially available on Netflix worldwide. So for those of you that have been holding off, you now have no more excuses. You can watch it in the comfort of your own home, which is why I've held off talking about this movie on a podcast. But you'll be getting my thoughts uh, probably towards the tail end of this episode. Um, you'll hear about that. Um, I'm also going to talk about my top five Aaron Sorkin movies, or written movies, I should say, because he's only directed two in his whole career, including this new one. Um, so this is, it'll be more basically about his works uh, as a screenwriter. So you'll get that on this episode as well. A lot of other stuff to look forward to here in my birthday weekend. I'm getting together with friends. That's going to be exciting. I'm really excited about that. Haven't seen a couple of people in a while, so it'll be nice to catch up. Um 
Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are going to go head-to-head on Sunday for only the third time in their careers. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Tom Brady will, of course, be in a new uniform this time as he's no longer with the New England Patriots. So that'll be an interesting factor. And the only thing I'm really you know, putting my hopes on is that for the entire history of I've been watching Brady, he's always been excellent around my birthday. You know, his teams usually start to click in the month of October. So that's why uh, they've been really good uh, in the middle of October. So he's had some classic matchups during my birthday weekends. Uh, Maybe I'll talk about those after my Aaron Sorkin top five. I'll give my little bit of memories of that. So my birthday weekend's always usually exciting because of that. So I'm hoping for another birthday victory uh, on Tom Brady's end, even though he's in a whole other team now. Um, It's just a cherry on top to my weekend. So either way, I'm hoping for a great game. I did, in my NFL show, pick the Packers to win. So... You know, I, I'm also a realist and I'm unbiased, I think, for the most part. Uh, even though some people like to call me a Tom Brady homer, and I am for the most part, but, you know, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers are playing fantastic football right now, and I can't deny that. So I'm giving them the edge in this matchup. But my heart won't be mad if the Buccaneers pull this off and Tom Brady gives me another reason to celebrate and get, uh, possibly, you know, drink a little bit of the bubbly uh, based on that. So. Um, I'm, I'm just hoping for a really, really great game. So should be a fun weekend. I'm turning 34. I'm excited. Um, it's been a lot of doom and gloom as far as uh, movie releases are concerned. Obviously, I've, I've mentioned a lot on this podcast that I do work at a movie theater. And a lot of the studios have decided to, for the most part, delay their movies till next year and beyond. Some of them have decided to go streaming, as I've mentioned before, Mulan. Uh, did Disney Plus and the latest news uh, that happened, I believe it was either earlier this week or late last week. And um, it was announced that Disney's new Pixar movie, Soul, which was supposed to be in theaters around Thanksgiving time, is now going exclusively to Disney Plus. But they're not going to do what they did with Mulan and charge like an extra $30 for you to see it. As long as you're a Disney Plus subscriber, you're going to be able to see that movie for free. And that'll be dropping on Christmas, which is another, you know, nail in the dagger, so to speak, for us movie theater people who are hoping for, you know, just any type of big studio content to, to hit our way. Because, you know, business has been, you know, somewhat lackluster, even though we're still getting new releases each week. But a lot of these movies are really independent, small nature. A lot of people don't know about it. Not really a lot of driving factor to be like, hey man, I want to go check that out. Uh, but not that not being the the big reason. Most of it is that probably most people are uncomfortable going out to the movie theaters right now, and not just where I'm at in Texas, but all across the U.S. Especially because right here, right now, is where we're still struggling with this pandemic. Um, so the the movie theaters are hanging their hopes for the most part, on Wonder Woman 1984, which is also slated for Christmas Day. And, I mean, Disney's got to do what Disney's got to do, but, you know, they're releasing Soul on that day, and it's like, man, could they have not just released it on Thanksgiving when it was supposed to and just put it on Disney Plus? So that, like, makes makes me think people are probably going to stay home and watch that. Not that I think there was going to be hordes and hordes of people coming out to see Wonder Woman 1984. Definitely more than Tenet, which was the only big studio release that has come since uh since this pandemic has started and has had you know 
really low box office returns, but not due to the fault of the movie. It's just the state of the world that we're in. Um, so yeah, that, that that's where we're at at this moment. And of course, things can still change. We're what this is. We're as I'm recording this, it's October 16th, and uh, <laughs> you know, Wonder Woman is supposed to come out Christmas Day, and that's still like I know it's close, but in terms of how the world has been working from day to day and how things are rapidly changing and there's an announcement here and an announcement there things change next week but then go back to the way it was the day before or the day after you know you know all this jumbling of news and trying to keep everything coherent and straightforward like it's not even a guarantee that that movie will be out on Christmas day in a movie theater but i have to hang on to that hope uh, cuz i you know even though it's been a mostly negative impact for the movie theaters with all this stuff getting moved. Like I still have this notion of hope that things will eventually, you know, not fully return to normal, but we'll get back to where it's like, Hey, you know, people are out at a movie theater checking out uh, the latest blockbuster. So we'll, we'll get back to that at some point, but right now it just, it looks like it's the end of the world and you know, the world is evolving and changing. It was headed in that direction anyway. And I more than anybody understand that. Um, but also just uh, as a fan of the theatrical experience, yeah, I'm going to have a little bit more emotion when it comes to it and, you know, have a little bit of, you know, I'll be down every time they announce a, a, a delay or, or a move to streaming. Um, that's, that's just the way I'm wired when it comes to that stuff. So, but, um, let's take a break. Uh, a lot of good fun stuff to look forward to this week. I want to pay attention to that. And that's what this episode's all about. It's about celebrating my 34th birthday. And what better way to do that within the, with the release of a new Aaron Sorkin written and directed film, The Trial of the Chicago 7. I'll talk about that. You'll get my review. Stick around. This is Palace Off the Top Rope. We'll be right back. Hey, wait. We got to try it. Try what? Calling the empty man. Who's the empty man? If you're on a bridge and you find a bottle, you blow into it and you think about the empty man. Oh, come on, Mandy. How old are you? Tell him the rest. On the first night, you hear him. And on the second night, you see him. And on the third night? Well, on the third night, he finds you. Squirming his way into your thoughts. Like a disease. <laughs> and his message is contagious. Welcome back to the show and on to the trial of the Chicago 7 from writer and director Aaron Sorkin, who is one of my absolute favorites, uh, probably top three screenwriters where if this person puts out any movie, I know I'm going to get some top-notch dialogue. 
you know, I look at guys like Quentin Tarantino, um, sometimes Kevin Smith, and then for sure Aaron Sorkin. Like you look at my some of my favorite movies of all time, like A Few Good Men with Tom Cruise, The Social Network, which we just passed the the ten year anniversary of. So it's awesome that we're getting some new Sorkin ten years later, or we're still getting that content. And he's done other fantastic stuff. Obviously, the West Wing series. Uh, he's done a couple of other shows under the radar, which I've really enjoyed. Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip with Matthew Perry and Bradley Whitford. And then um, The Newsroom more recently with Jeff Daniels, which is another fine television show. So he's got so much work under his belt. He's such a tremendous writer. And um, he's transitioned more into a director. But again, writing is his absolute strongest point. Um, I didn't get to see his directorial debut with um, Jessica Chastain and Kevin Costner. I'm going to have to go back and check it because I, I think I'm pretty sure he wrote that one as well. So he always delivers on that end. So when this movie was being announced and that he was directing it, I was like, oh, okay. But then I heard he's also writing it. I'm like, okay, I'm sold. If he's going to just turn into a director now, like I don't know if that's going to be his thing. But writing is right up his alley and he will never not be good at that. Um, and for those of you that don't know Aaron Sorkin's style of writing, it's very sharp. Like all the characters, for the most part, in anything that you watch of his, they're all like witty and everybody's sharp at, at throwing zingers and it's very pop culture related. So he's good at uh, mixing all of that stuff. And sometimes the characters talk a little too fast, but it's awesome. Like it's super engaging. Like you watch a few good men and you see Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson going toe to toe and they're just going at it with words. Um, something like the social network where Jesse Eisenberg as Mark Zuckerberg and even, you know, someone like Justin Timberlake who you didn't think could be an actor and he's in there like delivering dialogue, these words that are just tremendous and, 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 and make the movie just pop um, more and more and make it into, you know, you know, it's just, Sometimes, for the most part, his stuff is just people talking, and and that that can do it for me. And if it's done in a very intellectual way, so the way he writes characters in movies is just so top notch. And he does that here in the Trial of the Chicago Seven. So let me run down a little bit of the the cast the cast that is in this movie. So you got Eddie Redmayne and Mark Rylance, Academy Award winner. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's kind of been a away for a while, but now he's kind of making a little comeback. He's been in some stuff. I know he's in a Netflix movie with Jamie Foxx that I haven't seen. Uh, probably won't see it, but, you know, he's he's back in the mix. Um, you got Sasha Baron Cohen, who's, I, I, I got to be honest, I'm not really a fan of his. You know, he's the guy that does Borat, and he's been in, a, uh, you know, some other things. And for the most part, like, he's kind of, like, annoying to me. But here in this movie, like, you give him that Sorkin dialogue and all of a sudden he's, like, an interesting character. So, like, that's the power of Aaron Sorkin. Like, he's so good with that. And uh, Michael Keaton comes out and makes a makes an appearance in this movie and, you know, swings for the fences. And obviously this guy, the, the, the latter half of his career is just going to go down as one of the all-time greats. Like, Michael Keaton is, is a national treasure to me. And he's so great. And this little part that he has in this movie it's just a wonder to see. So it's a courtroom drama. So yes, there's a lot of talking, a lot of lawyer jabbing, but it, again, it's all riveting dialogue. So the stories about uh, the police riots that happened in the 1968 Democratic National Convention. And again, this is a movie that's very timely, very, very 
up to date with what's going on in today's world. And I won't get into the politics portion of that because there's a lot of stuff going on with that that's really divided this country. Uh, but I really m- more just w- want to focus on uh, just the way the story is presented here because it kind of tells it like both ways. Like you kind of, I don't want to say sympathize with both sides, but you really just get good aspects of, of what both sides are dealing with here uh, from the prosecution side. Because obviously the story is about like the trial of Chicago seven, right? So it's seven people that were involved in supposedly inciting police riots and all that, uh, during that stuff in Chicago. So they're put on trial and they're all together. And again, these are made up of guys that are like Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne and, you know, a lot of other actors that I'm not familiar with. Um, but they're all, they're all fantastic performers in this movie. And then of course their, their lawyers played by Mark Rylance who, uh, was in Bridge of Spies and Dunkirk and, you know, he's a really good actor and, and again, I'm still fucking mad at him for winning the supporting actor over Sylvester Stallone for Creed, but, you know, that's a personal issue, but he's super awesome in this movie. And then Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays the lawyer that's prosecuting them or, or working for the defense. And again, it just goes back and forth and, you know, just this whole courtroom drama. Again, think of movies like A Few Good Men and really any courtroom drama that you've seen like they're usually pretty well like scripted and well dialogued so you you get all that here and you get flashbacks as to what's going on during the uh during the i guess the protesting and all that stuff during the the democratic national convention and you get all these pieces of the puzzle that are added because there's stuff that's said in this movie throughout that's kind of out of context but then you get the full picture like in a flashback so Sorkin does a really good job directing on that end as far as like telling you the picture, the whole picture of the story and just like the way things were and kind of somewhat still are in today's society. Um, I know if a, if a trial like this were going on, I know uh, the judge would probably be more fair and balanced. But in this movie, the judge played by Frank Langala, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He's such an asshole in this movie. Like he's just so like, you know, ready to, you know, find these guilty parties and, you know, just send them right to jail, not really giving them a, a fair chance to get represented and, and have a trial. So there's a lot of that conflict going on in that movie. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is also dealing with like a, a crisis of conscience because he sympathizes with what the protesters were trying to do, but also he has a job to do for the government and he's paid to do that job. So you can see that confliction in him. Uh, throughout this movie and then of course you see him also as ruthless you know just being a lawyer like and and i don't think i could do a job like that like like, let's say you were representing the party where like oh no like for sure like you're on the bad side of of things or history or whatever i i don't think i could ever be a lawyer and do that but there are just some people that are cutthroat and could shove off you know personal feelings and just do the job so gordon levitt here is, is really good in the role and then Michael Keaton plays a former U.S. Attorney General that comes in at a crucial point. And again, I won't spoil any spoil anything. Again, this is in movie theaters right now. If you're if it's in your area, I highly suggest going to see it. If not, and if you're still one of those people that are at home quarantining, staying at home, and not going out, uh, you'll have no excuse because it's going to be on Netflix October 16th. So October 16th, it'll be on that streamer. You'll have no excuses to not see this movie. It is right up my alley, exactly what I'm looking for in movie. Top acting, top performances. The directing doesn't have to be all flashy and all that stuff. So it's just 
perfect uh, drama, human drama, uh, actors just spitting out amazing lines and, you know, a lot of themes to, to look at, a lot of messages that are being said. And I, I, I'm for sure confident that this movie is going to be nominated for a lot of Oscars. If whatever that is <laughs> come next, early next year, I know the, the Oscar, I guess, ceremony that's supposed to happen uh, has been pushed back a little bit just because of, of the pandemic. But, you know, we're, we're, we've gotten some really good movies this year. And up until this point, uh, my front runner was probably Spike Lee's Defy Bloods, which is still also another fantastic movie. But, uh, this <laughs> Chicago seven, man, it just really, it's, it's my jam. So like, you know, it might not be for you, uh, but it definitely, you know, the Sorkin stuff, his writing always really does it for me. And it's usually always, you know, top notch electrifying a stuff from him. And he knocks it out of the park again here. Um, as far as acting, it'll get nominated for Best Picture for sure. Now, as far as acting, I can see maybe Mark Rylance again getting a nomination. Possibly Sasha Baron Cohen. And I'll give him his due. Like, he was really good in this movie. Uh, he's up for a possible nomination. But, you know, we'll see with what other movies on Netflix are going to be coming soon. And, you know, some of them that will get a theatrical release, you know, in, in a limited run. So... You know, a lot of stuff to come, and I know we're, we're kind of like, we're still like at the start of Oscar season, so this movie's coming at a really good time, and again, it ties into everything that's going on right now, so if you're one of those that like, that is into all that, like I saw this movie, not because like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, it, it's it's speaking to what's going on right now, like no, like I, I went into it as a piece of entertainment uh, Sorkin, I, I want to see the dialogue, what he comes up with, the actors and the, and, and and the performances and all that stuff. That's that's what I I was psyched up for, and it delivered on every level. So, can recommend it highly enough. So, if you're comfortable, it's out in certain theaters right now. Again, movies like you know Avengers will work on the big screen always, but so does a courtroom drama. At least for me, like it's I don't want that to go away for the smaller movies. So. Um, if you get a chance and if you're comfortable, see this one out on the big screen. And, and I'm sure it would, it would do good with a crowd, too. Like, it, it's it got a lot of uh, moments where you're, like, you want to cheer. And then also moments where you're angry. And, and moments where you just want to, like, you know, throw your fist up in the air and punch just because of some of the injustice that's going on. But it, overall, it works as a, as a drama and everything that it's trying to say. And, again, ties into a lot of what's going on in the world right now. So... Check it out. Writer-director Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. My front runner for best movie of the year. It's going to be hard to top. Um, we'll see what's left. Uh, I know Fincher's got a movie coming out. Uh, Mank with uh, Gary Oldman. That may be something to check out. Uh, Tom Hanks is, is in a couple of things. or He's in a movie later this year. Not sure if that's going to be a theater release. or Or who knows. I don't know. The world's just in uh in flux right now with all this all this stuff going on so i don't know where some of these other movies are going to end up coming out but i'm happy to have seen this in a movie theater uh for my experience and i will be definitely watching it again once it hits netflix because i it was just a really really entertaining movie to watch and that's going to do it for this segment of the show let's take one final break when we come back i'm going to go through my top five aaron sorkin written projects uh Obviously, a lot to celebrate with him this weekend. 
And you'll get my favorite memories of Tom Brady playing during my birthday weekend. Because, again, we're celebrating my 34th. Uh, Stick around. This is Palace Off the Top Rope. We'll be right back. You don't know my name, do you? Is it Stanford? I should just kick your ass. How do you go to a party and you meet Amelia somebody? Ritter, but you prefer Amy. You're from Orinda. Your father's in commercial real estate and your mother's ten years sober. What's my major? Trombone. Really? I remember something about a trombone. Tu fais l'amour à la jolie fille et la Mmm, French. Oui? Your major's French. And yours? Mine? I don't have one. You haven't declared? I don't go to school. You're kidding. No. Well, where did you go to school? William Taft Elementary for a little while. Seriously? You're not like 15 years old or anything, are you? <laughs> no. Well, you're not like 15, are you? No. So what do you do? I'm an entrepreneur. You're unemployed. I wouldn't say that. What would you say? That I'm an entrepreneur. Well, then what was your latest preneur? Well, I founded an internet company that let folks download and share music for free. Kind of like Napster? Exactly like Napster. What do you mean? I founded Napster. Sean Parker founded Napster. Nice to meet you. Welcome back to the show, and that was a clip from my number one on my Sorkin list. And if you haven't figured that out, then you don't really know me that well, do you? But that's okay. That's why I've compiled this quick list for you so that way you can learn more about your favorite podcaster and uh, just just more about me in general in terms of what I like in my movies. I, I love sharply written characters and dialogue, which is why you always hear me praise Quentin Tarantino's stuff. Um, you know, I've talked a lot about the social network. Uh, if you listen to my top 10 movies of the decade for the 2010s, that was, to me, the number one movie. And I mentioned this on social media before. I think The Dark Knight is the most influential movie of the 21st century, but I think The Social Network is the most important movie of this uh, of the 21st century, just in terms of how everything is dominated in society by social media and how it's kind of like become a, a little bit... It's, it's become sort of a bad thing, right, in terms of like how, you know, news is reported, how opinions... Uh, can be manipulated and stuff out of context and bullying and, and all these different things that really got put to the forefront once Facebook was brought into our lives. And I know there were social media platforms before that, but that was the one that really put it and shot it over the moon. And again, everything now is social media for better or for worse in society. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to make this too long. I know I can probably do a, a top 10 of Aaron Sorkin's work. He's he's actually, for the most part, has that giant body of a work, which I could go into. And he's done, you know, written multiple movies. He's only directed twice, starting with Molly's Game uh, with Kevin Costner and Jessica Chastain. And most recently, the new one, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is out now. Um, but for the most part, he's more known as a writer because of his sharp characters, you know, witty dialogue and, you know, walk and talk. That's the whole thing with Sorkin. These characters talk fast and they're walking as they're talking and it's just become a staple of who he is. And, uh, you know, he's going to be most remembered for The West Wing, which was a popular uh, television show on NBC that ran for about seven, eight seasons, somewhere along those lines. But he did a show before that called Sports Night, which uh, my buddy... Um, showed me years ago, and I got into that as well. 
I loved The Newsroom, which was an HBO show with Jeff Daniels. That lasted, I think it was two, three seasons. Uh, really fantastic show. Didn't really, it, it gets criticized a lot now for some of the really cheesy stuff that it has, uh, moments that it has in that show, but for the most part, I loved it. But my personal favorite, and it's one that went completely under the radar and only had one season, it was called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which was like a behind the scenes look at a Saturday Night Live type show. It was presented more as a drama, which maybe probably why it didn't work but i think in in today's world today's climate it would work perfectly that one starred bradley whitford and one of my favorites matthew perry who played chandler on friends uh as two you know writers buddies that collaborated and uh back in the day and then they bring them back to try to bring some spunk to this uh you know rating spiraling sketch show and try to turn things around it was a really interest, interesting concept of a show i think it was ahead of its time probably and that's why it didn't work. But since we're reviving a bunch of shit, like, all the time, I feel like this is one of those properties that could get redone in 2020, and I think it would have an audience. Now, would it be, like, a network television show, like, on NBC, CBS, ABC? Probably not. This looks more, it would be more of, of a streamer. I could see it on a, you know, Amazon Prime type show, on Hulu, maybe, even Netflix. But, you know, since we're reviving stuff all the time, I say this one deserves a second chance. But anyways, here's my top five of Aaron Sorkin-related, written-related projects. Not so much director because he's only done two. Um, number five, The American President, starring Michael Douglas, Annette Benning, Michael J. Fox, who's incredible. He's my MVP of this movie. Martin Sheen, who would go on to become the president in The West Wing, directed by Rob Reiner. Um, Douglas, Michael Douglas plays uh, Andrew Shepard, the United States president, uh, who falls in love with... Uh, I forgot what she, she's like a like a reporter, I believe. I mean, I don't know super specifics about this movie. I've only seen it a couple of times, but I absolutely loved it every time I've watched it. But I'm not like super familiar with everything in it. Uh, but he falls in love with this like you know regular type gal, and it's like a romance drama comedy aspects. It's it's got the rom com elements in it, all involving obviously the White House and the presidency and all that stuff. But of course, it's the sharp dialogue of of Sorkin that makes everything soar. Uh, and it's a nice rewatchable. I saw it a couple of months ago, and uh, it still holds up. Again, Michael J. Fox, you know, Back to the Future. Loved this as a kid growing up. So in the '90s, when I saw this movie, it was like, oh, badass! He's still like doing movies, even though this was the part of his career where he was going to start to kind of fade away from the limelight. Um, but he gives a really good performance here, um, and Michael Douglas is as charming as ever. Again, it works as a romance drama, rom com of sorts. And then, of course, if you're into, like, great dialogue and, and, you know, characters walking and talking, and it kind of set the stage for what the West Wing was going to become. So it's a nice little prelude to that. So that's my number five. At number four, uh, Steve Jobs, starring Michael Fassbender, Kate Winslet, Seth Rogen, Jeff Daniels, among many others, and little smart, small cameos. It's a a, a three three-act structure. It's not really presented as a biopic of Steve Jobs, but more of, like, three separate events uh during the launching of like certain products in the whole apple industry you know it, i think it's like three different stages of the mac or something like that um but that's not w what the movie is really about it's more about the the inner turmoil that steve jobs is dealing with in terms of like the people that he works with and uh his 
personal family issues, you know, stuff with with his daughter and all that stuff. A lot, a lot of those issues are really dark, and, but they're painted re- really well. And of course, and in a very entertaining way, when you add Sorkin's element to it, and the performances are so powerful, so great. I think this this is Michael Fassbender's one of his finest performances. It really got overlooked at the Oscars and in the box office as well because um, there was also another Steve Jobs movie that came like a year or two earlier with Ashton Kutcher, which I've never seen, so I'm not going to try to dissect that or say that's the the bad version of the Steve Jobs movie because I've never seen it. That one's probably more a biopic, but this one was more just character-driven. The way Steve Jobs is portrayed here is kind of like a – a mad evil genius maniac type guy just very also mean and threatening like the way he, he goes about the performance now that could have just been a decision by Fassbender and the director Danny Boyle and of course Sorkin and the way he writes the character but it's very mean-spirited but also just riveting riveting stuff um it was on HBO Max or just HBO if you if you're a subscriber to that i believe it's still on there if not it's on Netflix you should definitely check it out it's again one of those movies that really got overlooked, and uh, and also fine performance by Seth Rogen, who's you know m- known more for doing comedies and stuff like that. But he ventured into a little role like this, and every once in a while, Seth Rogen does these kind of movies with these small little roles, and 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 he brings the most out of it, and and brings a different side to him. So that was awesome, and of course, Kate Winslet is great as always. So she always delivers, so you don't you know have to worry about that. And then, of course, Fassbender just steals it, and it's such an electrifying performance. And um, I, I would have to circle back to what else was nominated that year for Best Actor, but his performance was definitely top-notch and should have at least been in the conversation of, of possibly winning that award. That's my number four. At number three, and a lot of people are going to say, why isn't this your number one? It's probably the most famous and the most rewatchable and you know has the biggest stars. All... You're all right in that in that sense. Um, it's a movie that still airs to today. It came out in 1992. It's on television all the time. It's super quotable. It's super rewatchable. It's got Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore, A Few Good Men. Uh, it is electrifying as it was in 1992 as it is in 2020. Um, courtroom drama. Um, Tom Cruise. This is my favorite Tom Cruise movie. Not his performance, but definitely movie in terms of, of an ensemble and just everything going from top to bottom. Everything's great here. Rob Reiner directing. Um, and, of course, this was based off of Aaron Sorkin's play. So, of course, he's the perfect one to adapt it into a film version. And uh, it, it's super – there's a lot of monologues in this movie, so I've learned a bunch. I remember did I did one in high school. I would perform it for certain kids uh, in, or in different classes. You know, they would, they would ask me to come in and do dialogue for it. So, you know, A Few Good Men has a very – very you know personal touch in my you know in my heart uh but as it being number one i can rank it as sorkin's best even though it's probably his most popular and and more iconic just in terms of how powerful jack nicholson's performance is and how electrifying tom cruise is as the leading man um but again you're not wrong if this is like a number one on your list i won't blame you uh it's one of those movies that Whenever it's on on television, whatever scene it's in, I will watch it. My dad and I we're always constantly watching that movie. It, it's it's never it never becomes like oh man this movie again. Like why are we watching this? Like no, it's like oh sweet few good men. Let's go. Where is it at? I'm in all the way. So number three, a few good men. At number two, uh, 
another underrated classic masterpiece. Um, it didn't get as much love as I think it should have at the Oscars, even though it was nominated in some spots. Um, Brad Pitt in Moneyball, which, you know, baseball's not my favorite sport, but in terms of movies and how they make movies out of baseball, like those are the most riveting sports movies, more than football, which I love to death, more than basketball, you know, more than golf, you know, whatever sport you want to talk about. Baseball just has the absolute best movies. And this one mixes in the, the backstage politics of it, the money involved, you know, given the, the title of the movie Moneyball, you know, the, the way players are chosen, you know, the old guard versus the new guard, uh, just everything about this movie is super sweet. It's probably Brad Pitt's finest leading man role. I know he won the Oscar for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and rightfully so. It's a tremendous performance. But to me, my favorite of his has still got to be Moneyball because it's this guy who's just trying to uh, not let money be a determining factor in how he creates his legacy and how he moves forward with his life. Because as the movie does showcase, it's something that he made a choice on once and it backfired and he's struggling with that through the course of this movie and trying to adapt to a new way. Uh, co-stars Jonah Hill, Philip Seymour Hoffman in a thankless role, but still he makes it somehow work. That's all just how great Philip, Philip Hoffman is. Um, who else is in this? Uh, Robin Wright, you know, just a lot of great performances in this movie, but what makes it pop even more is, Aaron Sorkin's incredible dialogue and Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill's chemistry is so remarkable because of it and the way they go back and forth and the way Brad Pitt uh, bickers with the old guard that are in charge of the team, the scouts and all that stuff and how they go about their business. It makes it such riveting, such a riveting movie, even though it's, it's mostly a movie about analytics, which is crazy, right? Like you wouldn't think like that sounds boring as shit. And it probably is to a, a chunk of you. But for those of you that really appreciate dialogue and acting and, you know, real like brain work behind a, a plot of a movie, like this works tremendously. And it grows more and more on me. Like every time I watch it to the point where it's almost, it's almost going to, to be a top 10 of all time of my favorite movies ever. And that's really saying something because it just, I love it every, like just more and more every single time I watch it. So if you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. It's one of Brad Pitt's best. And, uh, you know, you have the Sorkin dialogue. That's just like, you know, it's the cherry on top to, to what makes these movies more important and more better than they should be because they would, otherwise it would just be bland. If you don't have Sorkin's dialogue for a few good men, it's like a so, so, courtroom drama you know the the american president you take away sorkin's dialogue and it's like a maybe a cheesy rom-com and it doesn't work you add in the political aspects of it, it it's just boring um steve jobs like they made him like into this real enigma and like just very haunting individual just based on the way it's written and, and it's all credited to aaron sorkin and that leads us to my number one film, and it'll tie back to that clip that I played before I started this list, The Social Network, the most important movie of the 21st century. It's about the origins of the Facebook company with Mark Zuckerberg, played by Jesse Eisenberg, and his relationships with uh, Andrew Garfield's character, Eduardo Saverin, uh, the Winklevoss twins, uh, all this stuff that, that happened and, and where we are today in terms of social media 
and whether like you know this guy who was an antisocial type person just created this monster for better or worse for for all of us in society and it's just a, a really heartbreaking tale about friendship and just a heartbreaking tale of of what this thing this this facebook uh, phenomenon what it ended up becoming and, and what it's uh you know branched out into you know you got your twitters your snapchats your tiktoks all of that is dominated in society you know for for better or for worse there's a lot of pros but yet a lot of cons to it so this movie is the genesis of that and again without sorkin's dialogue and you know i'll give credit to david fincher too amazing directing job uh one of the best directors of this generation but you know you combine those two and if you take i think if you take any one of those elements out the movie's not as powerful and it's not as impactful and not as memorable as it is as we're talking about it 10 years later. You know, this movie's just going to continue to age well, just given where we are now with this guy, Mark Zuckerberg, and uh, what continues to what we continue to find out about this character and, you know, the way things have evolved. Like, this is a movie like where <laughs> you almost you want we almost need the sequel to this to see where we are now are at. And Sorkin is open to the idea of doing a sequel with this, to this movie. Uh, even, at, and he has to have, um, David Fincher at the helm for directing. So that's going to play a factor into that. But that's a sequel that we need. There's a lot of sequels that come out in today's world where we don't need and, you know, we just want them. But no, this is, this one we need. This story has continued so much in the 10 years that have passed since it's come out. Uh, even though it is like there's some fictionalized parts of that movie, but, you know, there's a real riveting story to where we are in today's society that would garner a sequel for the social network. But that's why it's my number one. It's it's so awesome in the performances. Again, you get riveting dialogue coming out of Justin Timberlake's mouth. Like that's crazy, right? This guy was a singer uh, for InSync. You know, he had a cr- tremendous uh, solo career as a singer, but as an actor, like you wouldn't think, but then you watch him in the social network and he's spitting out Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. And it's like, man, where's this guy been our whole lives, you know, and, 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 and acting and all that stuff. So that, that's what Sorkin's dialogue does to people, brings out the best in, in actors you wouldn't think. And, uh, that's another just tool that he has that he's able to use to, to, to his advantage, which is why he's one of the most important and, you know, greatest screenwriters that we have in Hollywood and again I'm super excited about everything that he puts out and you know I always look forward to what he's um, coming out with next you know as I mentioned earlier the trial of the Chicago 7 please go out and watch it like just as a courtroom drama it's it's so enticing again it's so timely now with everything that's going on Um, so he knew what he was doing when he was writing it and only Sorkin can do this type of movie for this time and and write it in a way where it's like it's a little bit fantasy but it's also hopeful but it's also comedic and entertaining and that's really what you want out of your movies right like you want them to be entertaining enough where when when you're done with it whether it's an hour and a half or two hours and a half you're gonna be like man that was a that was a fine piece of entertainment and that's what Sorkin has delivered for me for many many years now and hopefully many many years to come and those are my top five Aaron Sorkin written projects uh, that are my favorite. Let me recap them for you. Number five, The American President. Number four, Steve Jobs. Number three, A Few Good Men. Number two, uh, Moneyball. And number one, The Social Network. And most of these are available on streamers, so you can go check them out. And lastly, before I wrap up, 
this episode again. I'm so excited. It's my birthday. Uh, can't leave without talking about Tom Brady and the fantastic moments he's given me over my birthday weekend. Um, want to talk about just a couple of them. Three in particular. First one was back in, I believe it was 2010, 2011. No, actually, you know what? It was 2009. It was on his comeback from the ACL injury to his knee because he had been taken out the season before um, with uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, this was coming off the Super Bowl 42 loss, uh, the the heartbreaking 18-1 season where they could have gone undefeated, but it didn't happen. You know, whatever. I'm over it, <laughs> as you can tell. Um, but there was a game that he came back in that season after he came back from that knee injury where they played the Tennessee Titans in like this snow snowball type game and Tom Brady just went out of his mind and he threw I remember it was like five touchdowns not in the game in one quarter or in one half something like that it it was some crazy number which obviously nobody made a big deal about but if it were Peyton Manning or anybody that you know Patrick Mahomes you know ESPN would be going gaga and, and all this stuff but you know Brady would do these things uh first and nobody would make a big deal out of it but i remember that game in particular and it was a course over my birthday weekend so a great amazing win on that end or it was was a dominating win so that was awesome just the 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 records that he broke during that game was crazy Uh, another one was actually the weekend i went to tampa to go see my first nfl game and it was it wasn't the patriots it was the tampa bay buccaneers who's also one of my other teams in the NFC, even though everybody likes to call me a bandwagoner because Tom Brady's now on that team. But there's proof that I was a Buccaneers fan before then. Um, I had gone to go see them against the New Orleans Saints. And during that same weekend, again, of course, this was my birthday weekend, the Patriots were playing the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, me and my uh, quote-unquote hatred for the Cowboys or my loathing for Cowboys Nation – and this one was played in Foxborough, and Tony Romo was still the quarterback. It was actually a really good game between both teams. The Cowboys were actually a contender that year. I think this was the year New England won the the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. So the Cowboys, I think that was the the year where they had the the Des Bryant. It's not a catch; it is a catch. A scenario with Green Bay. So they they were a formidable team, an opponent, and uh, the Cowboys were winning that game. And then of course Brady has one of those game-winning drives in the fourth quarter and he delivers that was just Brady's the ultimate comeback two-minute player like that's who you want in that spot and I remember seeing the highlights of this game afterwards I was so happy because you know I got to see my first NFL game you know the Buccaneers won against the Saints and, and then later finding out that the Patriots pulled off the the comeback victory against the Cowboys in Foxborough so that that was just a tip of the hat for my for my birthday weekend that year and then there was um, there was the game against the Saints, uh, which was back in 2013, and it was coming at a really low point in my life. Uh, it was my dad had had heart surgery. You know, there was a lot of complications, stuff like that. A lot of a lot of just bad stuff going on during that time. You know, my grandfather had just passed away earlier that year. It, was, it just wasn't a good year for me personally, uh, with all that stuff going on. And you know, I was just at such a down point in my life. And then this game happened, right? It was just a game between Breeze and Brady and it turned into like this classic duel and this was around the time that Brady was dealing with a a bunch of, you know, 
cast offs like that were no names and it's like man are the, are the Patriots going to be even contenders this year and he ended up taking that team to the AFC title game that year I think they lost to the Broncos but you know the way they were so decimated at receivers and all that stuff and you know he pulls off this uh amazing comeback at the end of the game with seconds to go you know converting like two fourth and tens and stuff like that two fourth two fourth down conversions for sure during that final drive it was just such a, a miracle drive. And then he throws a touchdown pass to a rookie receiver at that time. His name was Kendrill, uh, something Tompkins, Kendrill Tom, Kendrill Tompkins. I think that was his name. Uh, I don't think he's in the league anymore. If not, he's for sure not with the Patriots anymore. Um, but it was his last second, like shoulder fade throw over. It landed perfectly. Brady made this amazing comeback. And it was, I mean, not that that, like, you know, washed away everything that was going on in my life. But it was such a hell yeah. Like, you know, there's still good things that can happen, you know, if you just believe. And, you know, watching Brady pull off a performance like that would just gave me such a uh, just a, posit- a positive feeling and feel good. And that's the power of, of, of my fandom for somebody like Tom Brady is, you know, he does stuff like that and it just gives you hope and inspiration. Just, you know, never give up. You know, it's a, it's it's a it's a continuing fight. And as long as you fight, 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 you know, the, the things could shift your way. And, you know, that game was a perfect metaphor for like, man, like you can, con- you can bounce back. You can continue to move forward in your life. And if you just, you know, believe and, and work hard. And, and I, again, that game was just so true. I remember I commented so many things on social media. It actually just came up on my Facebook memories of all the stuff I was posting about this during the time. And I was just so ecstatic when it happened the radio call was ridiculous by the guy in in new england's name is scott zolak who was a former patriots quarterback this was his famous and there was a blurb on it on on all the sports uh, shows that week where it was like it, it went something along the lines of like oh my god brady did it you guys you said he was done and he's back baby like you know how you can have your time or your peyton Manning's. i'll take my brady and he was like, "Oh my God, where's the beef?" And all this, he said all this weird shit. It was like, maybe I'll find the clip of it and I'll post it at the end of this episode so you can see what a ridiculous call it was. But it was that just that type of drive and, and, and what Brady was dealing with at that time and the way he just pulled it off because you just when you have a leader like that and he he makes you believe like magical things happen. So, with that being said, those are my favorite memories of that, and I'm hoping for another one. This weekend with the the Buccaneers and the, and the Packers facing off, Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. This is only the third time that they're facing off in their careers, and they're one and one. Um, so and Aaron Rodgers is having a real MVP like season. Brady's still trying to figure things out in Tampa, even though he's got a strong like offensive core. So I'm hoping for some kind of amazing duel, like some amazing game. Like it'll be great. If Brady wins, but I'm, it's not like going to be like the worst thing if he loses. And, but the only thing that I'll have working against me is I can never say, Oh, Brady never loses on my birthday, which is something I've always posted and always felt confident about posting because he played for the Patriots. You know, that team's just well rounded, you know, from top to bottom, from ownership all the way to, to the quarterback. So, but we'll, we'll see what happens Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun and just should be a good birthday weekend. Uh, you know, pandemic and whatnot and you know the state of my business with the movie theaters i'm gonna be positive this weekend and not think about any of that stuff and just 
you know, focus on turning 34. Life is good. My family's good. They're healthy. My kiddos are great. You know, I'm, I'm blessed for them as always and blessed for my family and friends that are, you know, that I continue to, you know, sometimes do this podcast with. I have a lot of friends that, that want to come on and do this show and more people that I want to invite soon to, to do this show for the first time, if they're interested, of course. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's gonna, it's gonna do it. And, um, yeah, again, check out the trial of the Chicago seven available on Netflix. And if you're a football fan, Brady versus Rogers, three o'clock afternoon game, America's game of the week. Doesn't get any better than that. Check that out and happy birthday to me turning 34. Uh, that's going to do it. You can find this podcast on Spotify, search palace off the top rope, hit that follow button. You can, I do share this podcast link through my social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through podbean.com you can download the app you can listen on your phone if you're an apple person you can listen on apple podcast leave me that five star review i would greatly greatly appreciate it if you're listening to this uh go to apple podcast leave me that five star review just i'm trying to get this show to trend and, and and try to grow it that's my whole goal of year two now that i've you know done a full 365 of this show i really just it's it's time to try to take it to the next level and promote I'm going to get some intro music for this show very soon. Uh, I got a collaborator that wanted to work with me, so uh, I indulged and I'm going to be open to that. Got to be open to people that want to help market the show and and all that. You know, I'm just trying to grow this thing, see what I can do with it. I'm not the best at it, but I'm trying. So um, there's that. Uh, This show is also available on iHeartRadio. If you listen through there, uh, there's a lot of different platforms that are asking me to put the podcast on. So I'm working on those continuously. Uh, there's just a lot of like loading and uploading all these different things and, you know, days that I've got to wait and all that stuff. So that's why I haven't announced them fully what they are just yet, but they're coming soon. I promise. Anyways, that's going to do it, guys. Thank you all. Have a great week and God bless you. We'll see you next time. Brady's in the gun. Bolt into his left. He's got the who man on the right wing with Dobson to the right. Collie and Tompkins left. Brady throws it to the end zone for Kenbrell Tompkins. Leaping. He got it. Touchdown. Kenbrell Tompkins. Brady's back. That's your quarterback. Hold off the building. Unicorns. Show ponies. Where's the beef? seen it all when it's total despair 14 years in the league this situation after situation he's been through and to elevate a rookie my god